You're listening to Tax Talk, a podcast series from the Irish Tax Institute, which explores current issues in the world of taxation. I'm your host, Samantha McCochran. Innovation is widely recognised as a key ingredient for a successful business. That's why governments all over the world offer tax measures to incentivise businesses to invest in their research and development. Here in Ireland, the Department of Finance recently closed a public consultation on our R&D tax credit, and the Irish Tax Institute made a detailed submission. The R&D tax credit has taken on renewed significance now that the scope for competition on corporation tax is set to be restricted by the introduction of a global minimum rate fixed at 15%. So the credit is one of the few tax levers left to government to attract foreign investment. But it's also critical to our SMEs and startups. In episode 10 of Tax Talk, we examine the effectiveness of this tax credit and the Institute's submission with renowned tech investor Elaine Coughlin, who is managing partner and founder of technology fund Atlantic Bridge, and Ian Collins, tax partner and head of innovation with EY. Ian, the tax credit is very important in terms of building global businesses. Can you put a bit of colour on what sort of role it has played in developing and securing the multinational sector here? Um, Thanks for that, Samantha. I'd say it's been um, an absolutely critical um, pillar in terms of, uh, well, a number of different things, I'd say, both our ability to attract foreign direct investment and our ability to sustain um, employment in sort of indigenous sectors, uh, particularly as you know, as we compete with, let's call it more low cost jurisdictions, we need to be able to sort of, you know, be able to kind of compete in areas that uh, offer value added activity. So high end type jobs, typically in areas of R&D, technology, pharma, you know, you name it, you, we have it. Um, I think the R&D tax credit, what, what that has done is it has put Ireland um, on the map in terms of our ability to compete with low-cost jurisdictions for high-value add activity, uh, and that's you know that's that's really critical. Uh, the ordinary tax credit. Let's just let's just be clear. It's not the only factor, right? Um, but it's definitely a a, a very strong um, indicator as to why a number of companies are continuing to invest in Ireland. Um, uh, and and obviously, you know, part of this discussion will no doubt get into you know. Why is it that we need to kind of make sure that we are not complacent when it comes to what we have, that we continuously monitor other jurisdictions and what they're doing because lots of other jurisdictions are competing for these type of investments no different to ourselves. And, and closer to home, Elaine, you're working uh, with one of your hats on through Scale Ireland uh, with lots of companies that are eager to grow. Uh, from an Irish startup Indigenous point of view, how important is the R&D tax credit? Well, I think it's vital because um, it's one of the, uh, for all those same reasons that Ian outlined for the MNCs, um, multinationals, but for Irish businesses, uh, this is a huge uh, piece of cash flow back in terms of their R&D spend. So it really helps keep, keep, it, keep the lights on, keep cash flow funding. And of course, we're into a much different part of the investment cycle now. And of course, innovative SMEs start out building the product first, building the software, and if it's a product hardware or whatever, or medical d- device. And so they're front-loading all of their costs before they have revenue or income. So they're in a loss-making situation for a number of years. Um, and that's where an R&D tax credit for all of that spend. So number one, it's very vital. So number one, they tend to be 
probably 100% R&D focused. And you will also have the cost understated because you'll find the founders are working for free or people are working on lower salaries. So it's a huge amount of, you know, efforts to get uh, uh, the, the product built. And that's typically for the first three years of the company's life. And so anything that helps further the, the, the runway that these companies have to continue that investment as I said, 100% focused on innovation and R&D. And of course, for our wider ecosystem in Ireland, that is absolutely vital. So that's that's the significance of the tax R&D credit. So yeah, uh, really- sorry, if I, if I may, Samantha, I, I, I'd actually echo everything you just said there, Elaine. I, I mean, the other thing that that's still I still find um, a bit frustrating is that there, there's still a little bit of a lack of awareness around the fact that this is a cash refund scheme and not a and not a credit against your corporation tax liability, right? So it's right. called a R and D tax credit scheme, but I'm still talking to companies, you know, um, uh, who are loss making and who haven't availed of it because they're not paying any tax. And and you know, you know, the first thing you're saying is it's actually cash refundable. There's nothing to do yeah. with the tax. So I think even just broadening the awareness around that. I think is pretty critical as well. But I think that's a great point that um, revenue, um, you know, one of the submissions um, from, from Scale Ireland, which was actually not anything about rates or administration, which we'll talk about, was set up a division within revenue that's focused on SME scaling because and help them understand uh, these types of incentives because what we're actually trying to do as a country is incentivize risk takers to put their their euros into R&D, which is high risk, as opposed to leaving it sitting, you know, in a bank somewhere, you know, actually invested in R&D and create something of of value, uh, of economic value and GDP value and generate exports and keep the wheel, wheel turning for the country. So we're at the moment, we're in a fast changing uh, global tax environment, quite a few implications for Ireland ink, I suppose, in the next um, few years um, due to international uh, moves that have been made. But look, in terms of what other countries are doing um, in terms of enhancing their schemes in light of globalisation or global taxation issues, are, are you seeing that already? Or is there evidence of other countries moving to try and improve and enhance their schemes, In oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so they're, <clears throat> they're, I mean, you know, we're in a very competitive marketplace, right? Don't, don't, don't get me wrong here, right? So, and and every country, uh, because of the way investment decisions are now made, and, and I'm sure Elaine can speak a lot more eloquently about this than I can, but, you know, lots of investment decisions nowadays are made, you know, very mobile, you know, so it's about, it's about, you know, looking at a spreadsheet, looking at the cost benefit of, of putting X investment into X, Y, and Z location. And, and it can be, it can be really as simple as that, right? So, because, you know, investments are extremely mobile these days. So we have to be able to kind of compete um, on a global stage for these type of investments, just as much as other jurisdictions are doing. So, so we're seeing a huge amount of activity going on, particularly in this space from other governments who are, continuously looking to enhance their domestic regimes in order for them to attract more foreign direct investment. Um, and that's something that that we're, we, we've really seen um, our international competitors ratchet up over the last few years. 
Um, and we tend to, we're very aware of multinationals shopping around as part of the conversation all the time when we look at um, Ireland's FDI investment and, 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 you know, other countries competing with us. But Elaine, have you seen Irish startups, companies with Irish founders look elsewhere? Do they look to other countries? I mean, Estonia, I think, was mentioned recently as one that's very pro-tech uh, startups. Is that something that Irish companies actually do look at or are they more content to stay here locally? Well, I think um, it's uh, what Ian said. First of all, very, very competitive market for labour, as we know, and talent. Um, we're probably going into a little bit of a pullback on that in terms of uh, the investment cycle. But regardless, for an Irish SME, um, in a lot of cases, the home market is so hot in terms of, you know, and tight and inability to hire uh, that absolutely they're looking to places like Estonia, Bulgaria, Croatia, uh, where you've, you know, availability of talent, number one, and then number two, the, the cost comes into it. But, and then the third point, which Ian makes mobility, you know, post-COVID now, you know, it is accepted across tech. We have companies that are completely um, virtual. They have no place of office. Um, now, I'm not a big proponent of that, but, you know, they are making it work particularly heavily engineering-centric companies. So I think this issue is even more critical now. We've got, obviously, the changes to the global tax rate, but we also have fundamental changes in how engineers, what's acceptable for, for them, where to work from. And uh, so Irish companies, you will find, have teams. I mean, it was interesting when the Ukraine uh, war, uh, when the war in Ukraine broke out, uh, I had a lot of calls from investors, you know, have we any exposure here? But interestingly enough, um, a lot of Irish companies had software teams in Ukraine, in Kiev, uh, an incredible number of them, and also within, within um, uh, the Enterprise Ireland base, way more than we thought. Now, it wasn't any undue dependence. It might have been a team of 15, a team of 20, a team of 10. But, you know, that trend has started because of the tightness of uh, labour market, the acceptability of, uh, of, of mobile working from wherever, uh, virtual working. And now the third issue is cost. So, so when you feed all of that into the system and into the model, it's a challenge for us. And it only, again, I think, puts the tax credit, the importance of it. Um, you know, absolutely, it is the right policy mechanism. You know, the government uh, has to be commended on it. But is it fit for purpose? Is it fully smoking? You know, um, I would say no. I would say it's not. There's things that we can do uh, that will actually make it more uh, more effective uh, in, in the longer term. And like, what, what type of things should we should we be doing or should the government be doing to make it that bit more appealing? I mean, I know uh, we'd like to think of ourselves as a very innovative country, but actually in terms of um, the research, you know, in the uh, submission, we've fallen down the rankings in innovation terms which is which is disappointing and we also spend less than other countries um a lot, a lot of other countries are we're below the average um in terms of spending as a proportion of GP, gdp so i'm just wondering are there is it a very complex thing to overhaul the system or is it sort of a number of smaller changes or what what needs to be done to to, to get us there in terms of in terms of changes to the scheme i i would say uh, like let's like, like it's been very successful to date right uh, you know there are there are about sixteen hundred companies on uh, in the Republic of Ireland that are claiming this uh, scheme on an annual basis, which is which is pretty significant, right? I would say that's disproportionately favoured towards the multinationals as opposed to the SMEs, right? And, I, and I'll I'll come back to that in a second. Um, like there's lots of 
nuances and tweaks that one could make to the scheme to always improve anything and everything, right? But if you were to ask me what are the critical ones, I would say, so don't have any restrictions on your cash refunds. Make it cash refundable in year one, as opposed to spreading it over over a three-year period. Uh, I think that would really help, particularly with the SME sector, who could use, um, I think that, that that's pretty critical, right? Straight away. And I think that there needs to be something around broadening the definition of what qualifies. So for example, uh, innovation and processes, et cetera, I think needs to needs to come under the remit. Um, and the, the final point I think is that, that needs to be done is there needs to be something done around the administration of the scheme. So at the moment, it's, you know, if you're a two-person development team or you're, you know, one of the largest multinationals in the world, the documentation requirements that are needed to satisfy the regime are the exact same, which to me doesn't really make much sense, right? So, you know, we've been calling for uh, sort of, let's call it an, an SME light type scheme or a document, a light documentation process for, for the SME sector. I think that would really help encourage greater engagement from the broader SME sector. Um, and I think that there could be something done in terms of level of certainty around the scheme, because at the moment, there's there, there's quite a lot of scaremongering and anxiety and fear about, well, if you put in a claim, revenue are going to audit you and revenue are going to audit you hard. Certainly in my experience, you know, we've been through, we've been through loads of audits where actually they've gone really, really smoothly. Um, so I think there's there is a little bit of scaremongering going on out there in the community, which is a little bit unwarranted. Obviously, if you're knocking on Irish Revenue's door looking for a, a big lumpy cash, you need to make sure that you've got your eyes dotted and your T's crossed. But I think that they, they could simplify that documentation process, particularly for the SMEs. Um, and there wouldn't be a huge overhaul needed to, to be in order to be able to do that. And Elaine, there is a lower take up of the uh, credit among SMEs. I mean, are the reasons sort of explained there by Ian to a certain extent, you know, I think the research that um, the Institute did mentioned several issues, but paperwork seems to be one of them, just the scale of, uh, I think one of the companies quoted said, sometimes the amount of work involved nearly outshines the actual value of the reward. So maybe tell me a bit about that, what smaller companies and startups are finding. Um, well, one of the great pieces of uh, one-liner feedback that uh, we got from Scale Ireland when we surveyed uh, the uh, our, our our base was that it from one founder was that it's a complete time suck uh, applying uh, to uh, for, for the for the tax credit. Now, look, you know, I understand that there has to be processes and procedures, absolutely, and it's taxpayers' money, so there has to be a validated process. But the difficulty is what Ian said, you know, you've got small teams in SME who have the very same requirement that uh, Google has, you know. Now, the reality is we've put that many rules and regulations around this that the bigger companies, and if uh, to, 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 to Ian's point, my numbers were kind of similar, Ian. Last year, there was about 700 million, I think 650, 700 million yeah. um, uh, tax rebated by the government. Yeah. Um, but um, 181 companies accounted for almost um, 70%, I think, of that. The average claim by an MNC was a roughly, on my maths, about two and a half million, uh, whereas for an SME, it was 100 grand, right? So, so let's just put that in context. Yet, we had about 1,800, 1,500, 1,800 SMEs apply for it. 
So, so you can see how important it is to the SMEs. So I would say from an administrative burden, I like the idea of having dedicated, you know, having, you know, what Ian called like an, an SME light approach to also reflect the dollars at risk. You know, it's not the same when you're signing off on a hundred grand. And remember, these are innovative companies who are usually invested in by Enterprise Ireland and have received DI and IDA grants. And we accepted, the government accepted back in 2019 that it would change this, that if you were in receipt of an ER and IDA grant, you were pre-approved. So I think there's ways that we can fast track this uh, for the for the SMEs without it costing the state anything, but we can make it easier for them. That's the first thing. Second thing, I do think it's unfair that the MNC, who's profitable, of course they are, Google, we're talking about some of the most valuable companies in the world, Apple, Google, Meta, Intel, right, that, that our Irish SMEs have to uh, face the same process. But if we take those profitable companies, they get the refunding in year one because they can offset it against their profits and their tax. Whereas the SME, who we want to encourage to invest in R&D and spend the money on three, four, five years up front and be loss-making, does not get it back in year one because they're loss-making. So they get it spread over three years. So I think that's just not, that's like apples and oranges. You've got a system and you're for one and you're applying it to the to the smaller company, to the, the highly R&D, 100% R&D based company, loss making. And so it's that, that that's something we could change. So I would say if, they, if we wanted to, with a stroke of a pen, say, and remember, we're going to pay that, revenue's going to pay money out anyway. What I'm saying is front load it, give it to them in year one, give them the certainty. And then the third issue is if you're sitting on the board of one of these companies and you're the investor, and it's a, they are usually very tightly funded, they don't have... Um, excess resources or cash and um, it's all very tight and you're faced with an audit or the risk of an audit um, you know uh, or the founders you know that on top of a very tightly run business puts huge pressure and worry and in the system and they some of them just say we're just not going to you know we just don't have either the resources to, to go through it or we don't have the risk appetite to go through it so we're just we just sit it out and let's get through to next year or whatever so so I think so the admin burden um is is something that could be tackled and then I'd say if they want to be radical um, and remember we're trying to get spend up here in R&D our R&D spend has come from about 250 million to about a billion as a total, that's for the government, and total as an island, we're spending about two and a half billion in R&D. That's only about one and a half percent of GDP. Um, by comparison, Israel is three to four times that amount, just to put it in context. And our agenda is to get that to two and a half percent by 2030. So whether it's MNCs or SMEs, we should be delighted to get the people spending on R&D to get those numbers up. Um, so that we are, you know, moving back up those rankings, Samantha, you talked at, talked about. We're no longer top 10 on global innovation. We're no longer top 10 in Europe and we're no longer top 10 globally. We are now 11th in Europe and we've slipped from, uh, we've slipped down to 19th globally. We're nearly out of the top 20. So I actually think this is a serious uh, problem that we've got, also an opportunity to fix it. And they, this is now one of the top two, three items that MNCs look at when they're making a decision where to put R&D um, uh, uh, resources. You know, have you got the R&D ecosystem? Is it vibrant? Is it healthy? Is there lots of companies, universities? Is there spend going on in areas that we want? And so here we have a chance to align the tax policy with the innovation policy. Um, and yet the tax policy is kind of putting up 
um, or the, the implementation of it is actually re uh, reducing uh, and holding people back from, from spending on, on R&D and claiming back uh, the, the tax credit. So while we do all accept that revenue has to be thorough and rigorous in its approach, um, even the large companies are quoted in the um, in the submission some comments about perceived inconsistencies um, in in the approach by revenue, and also large companies saying they would like to see more simplification. Are there examples um, in other jurisdictions where similar schemes are? run with a bit more, you know, ease of use. I think um, the HMRC has mentioned for some of its um, approach in terms of it being, uh, why aren't you availing of the scheme rather than why are you availing of the scheme? Is, is, are some countries doing it a bit better already? Oh, of course they are. Yeah. I, I mean, so so some countries have pre-approval mechanisms in place. Um, to, to me, that would be a bit of a game changer, particularly for um, though, you know, Elaine, Elaine alluded to companies who are risk averse, you know, if you're if you're in that category, um, you're probably not going to make an R&D claim, to be honest with you, right? Um, I'm worried about an audit. I think I think that's that, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's, yeah. there's a couple of war stories. Revenue actually improved over the last two years, but prior to COVID, there was a couple of horrific war stories of people getting caught up in claims and and having banked that they were going to get it and then not getting it, and you know, not they did eventually get it, but having to go through an audit. And, you know, just and these are in a lot of cases, first time founders, they don't have a big finance function, they don't have EMYs or tax advisors, you know, so uh, and, and and they don't have the ability to even fight or process a claim. So, yeah. so I think it's that kind of fear factor uh, that you're going to get, you're, you're going to get investigated and hit as opposed to what Samantha said, why aren't you applying? So that's a kind of a change in in culture, attitude, I think, approach by the state to to the to the tax credit, to the implementation of it. Yeah, no, I agree. And and you know, having a pre-approval mechanism in place will actually kind of get rid of all that anxiety because if yeah. you if you knew going in that to yeah. to a fair level of certainty that you know your claims were going to stand up and be robust and not not be subjected to audit, I think that would be a game changer for for lots of companies. And what you what you could do there is as well. Like, I mean, to me, that's a bit of a win-win because. Um, while you've got some resources and revenue that would be sort of looking at sort of going through that pre-approval process, they also don't have to spend the time actually going through a full-blown audit then because they've effectively vetted the, the numbers, right? And and what is it that they're there to do? They're there from a risk perspective to make sure that companies are entitled to be claiming it and should be claiming it, right? Um, if if there's a pre-approval process in place, that all that goes away. And similarly, then, if you're able to kind of marry up the grants, so if you've got R&D grants from whoever, you know, that should be a slam dunk as well. There, there, there should be minimum risk in terms of going through a full-blown revenue audit if you've gone through a technical assessment to, to avail of R&D grants from the various agencies. So I think that there's there's things that they could do, Samantha, um, quite easily to reduce the administrative burden, both for the taxpayer and indeed for the revenue inspectors as well, right? Because look, the revenue are no different to anyone else. They're resource constrained as well. So you could you could free up some of their time to do other things as well. Now, innovation, sorry, Elaine, do you want to? No, I was going to say, I think that's right. I also would say um, what was decided on to revenues credit in 2019, I mean, they agreed that the refund for the SME would go up from 25 to 30%. Uh, they um, allowed that you could claim some R&D costs before trading, 
great, great fair play to them. And they also um, increased the amount that you could outsource from 5% to 15%. So there's three things they agreed they would do, and that's not yet implemented. So I'd say implement those three. And then I'd say the pre-approval that Ian said, that's key. Uh, allow fixed overheads, so some proportion of fixed overheads, that's not yeah. allowed today. One year versus three year for the SME, allow the SME uh, access in year one to, to the re, uh, refund. And also, I think the limits on outsourcing are, are really um, in a huge inhibitor because in this sector, uh, particularly for complex skills and product, a lot is outsourced. And so it's limited now to like 5% for to, with, it, with an institution. I think that was that was higher education. Again, that to me makes no sense when we're trying to get more collaboration between universities and SME and MNCs. And it's limited to 15% to other companies. Now, I know the Finnish um, government allow you unlimited amount of uh, outsourced R&D claim back. So, so I think there are areas and, and that they can change. And then I'd say we really probably should think about kickers that people will have maybe a higher level of refunding if they're doing green climate related R&D or they're coming up with R&D in key strategic sectors like AI or semiconductors or quantum compute to really encourage private R&D dollars to go into those sectors and that maybe those sectors uh, garner a higher, I mean, I'm probably asking too much here, but a higher tax credit so that we we will be the provider, Ireland will be the provider of solutions for you know the biggest challenge of our time. So again, I think the difficulty with the tax credit is it's one size fits all. Um, and unfortunately, that doesn't reflect uh, the market. But like I say, they did they made great decisions in 2019. I can't understand why they're not um, being implemented. So I suppose the other thing I'd say is speed. With all of these things, speed, we've got to, and, and to your point, if we speed up, we might also free up resources and they'll be able to, you know, spend their time on, on more productive areas of tax. Yeah, if, if I could add to that, Samantha, just before you come in. So I agree with all that, Samantha, um, Elaine. Like, the, there's probably a couple of things I'd say that they they did move on moving the five percent to fifteen percent for the university. So that that yeah. is a line. Yeah, right? sorry, did, yeah. Uh, but but the uh, the piece around the the bump uh, in rate from twenty five to thirty percent for the SMEs. You're right, that's not in. Um, and my understanding is that that's not going to come in because they've run into state aid problems. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so like I think they're like they're 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 somewhat constrained in what they do, but a lot of the stuff that we're talking about shouldn't necessarily need extra state aid approval, right? Um, and also it shouldn't actually um, necessitate in extra cost to the exchequer. It's more around accelerating stuff and timing of stuff. <laughs> as opposed to actually this is going to cost more, right? So that to me means that a lot of these changes that we're, we're talking about, uh, which would fundamentally change the competitiveness of the Irish state when it comes to competing for these type of investments, um, you know, it's not going to cost them ec- any extra dollars or euros to be able to do that. Elaine, you mentioned their uh, particular incentives for green and energy related uh, projects which are of huge importance as we all know at the moment I, I, th- I think am I right in thinking that um, 
Britain has already got some extra incentives for like automation and AI. Some there's some already special specialized uh, targeted incentives. Are there other countries sort of already moving into that green sustainability space for incentives? Is that something that? Oh, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that yeah that that that's a that's a huge hot topic at the moment. Um, and that's probably that 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 would have been something that we would have called for in in our sort of consultation with the with Department of Finance as well in terms of doing something a little bit more around um green energy, renewable yeah. energy, you know, that whole area. I mean, uh, like this is this is very high on uh, government's agenda I would have thought as well. I mean, it's it's you pick up the newspaper for yesterday, it was probably headline news in terms of emissions and 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 what yes. you know, what the agricultural sector are going through, etc. So like and it's uh, it seems to be uh, acknowledged that the targets that we have set ourselves are going to be extremely difficult to be achieved unless we do something to your words elaine radical right so we need to do something radical around trying to to help countries uh samantha that are upping their game in terms of incentivizing for this type of stuff because it's going to be the area where there's going to be massive massive investment and if we're not in the if we're not in the game in terms of incentivizing for that type of stuff don't be surprised that none of that investment is going to land into ireland i think the big you know what you talk about we've got an energy crisis we have an emissions as you said targets that are incredibly onerous and we have um, a huge opportunity to fix both of those with green hydrogen which will be bringing in wind energy uh, off the west coast we are um, the richest country for wind energy in the eu harness that and process that wind energy into uh, liquefied green hydrogen and create hydrogen which will then be exported we've never had such an opportunity to become a, a renewable fuel giant and that's actually what ireland is sitting on now how do we pull all that together and by the way that fixes this certainty of supply of energy, which today is via the UK and the and the EU from a gas perspective. Uh, it, it means lower energy costs for industry and also for our population. And it's secure. We own it. And then it's a massive export potential. So it's all like win, 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 win. Now, the negative is what Ian said. Someone has to come here and invest billions mm. to build the storage, the grid, connected to the grid, you know, put the turbines out in uh, off the west coast of Ireland, right? All of that, okay? It's also going to create 50,000, 100,000 plus jobs uh, potentially. So, but someone has to do it. And it's it's probably going to be international companies, international energy companies. Like uh, I know there's a lot of interest from Germany and France, but you know, they've other places to go to and they don't have to do it here. And so far they've struggled to do it here, by the way, because of our planning laws. Uh, but wouldn't it, be great if we were radical and we said just like in the past Dean when we auctioned off um you know in the past governments would say you know what we want you to explore you know this oil field and you've got the concession for 20 yeah. years ever and pay us a billion or whatever so I think you know another way of doing that in the in the in the in modern times is to say we for every dollar you invest we'll refund you x you know percentage of that so long as it is in a sector that we want and that we need. So, um, but I haven't seen anything radical on that on that front yet. But that's what's required, right? But it also requires speed and requires a lot of courage. And um, there's no doubt about it. Ian, that would cost, you know, what. A, but I'm not sure we'll get the investment if we don't do it. Yeah, but your point as well, Elaine. Right. So 
like we're 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 a small enough economy where we should be nimble and flexible enough to be able to operate at speed and make those decisions pretty quickly. And, and to be fair, I think there's a number, you know, there are a number of areas where that does happen. So, and I think that also speaks to our competitive advantage over other, yeah. you know, much larger economies where, you know, it's it's like turning the Titanic, right? So, like, I think we right. do have the ability to operate at that level, to be quick in decision making, to to sort of jump on opportunities, and and to be able to kind of put that support around sort of you know big ticket investments for for these radical type of of areas. But, you know, look, let's sort of wait and see if, if, if something happens there. OK, well, look, on that note, we'll leave it there. Very interesting discussion about the R&D tax credit. That's it for this episode of Tax Talk. Thank you for joining us.